0: Uh, Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, Today's guest is Sean Barnes, who is a clinical researcher psychologist at Rocky Mountain MREC. Now, what does MREC stand for? M-I-R-E-C-C?
1: Yeah, so it's it's MIREC. It's Mental Illness Research Education and Clinical Center. Um, They are... um, centers that have been set up by the government as part of the VA to focus on different mental health topics. And, and the one out at the, the Rocky Mountain Regional VA in, in Colorado um, and the sister site in Salt Lake focus on veteran suicide prevention.
0: So you're specifically a research psychologist. Is that separate than, so does that mean that you're, you're, Primary mode is research as opposed to clinical psychologist.
1: So I'm a, a my it's in clinical psychology, um, and then I'm a like clinical research psychologist. Um, mostly, it's just the title, of the uh, like work title that I was hired under. I did did some um, like a postdoctoral fellowship uh, with the Myrick in in uh, treatment development and evaluating different different types of interventions. So. That's why I get the the research tag too. So I try to straddle, uh, you know, straddle both worlds and, and not be stuck in the, the ivory towers. They say say too much. Um, I definitely love love working with patients and um, and clients. And uh, you know, really, I'm I'm here today uh, just uh, outside of my role uh, in the VA. Uh, just looking forward to talking to you uh, as a as a person. I do. I'm affiliated with the University of Colorado and the VA, but I'm always supposed to give the disclaimer that, that nothing I say uh, necessarily represents the opinions of um, any of those organizations or the government in general. And I'm uh, uh, off, happy to be, be off the clock talking to you today.
0: I appreciate you being off the clock and talking to us also. You know, when I was going through my master's program, I, one of my papers was on African-American male suicide rates. Uh, There we could you could really get very specific in terms of studying suicidality, uh, whether you're talking about eating disorders, uh, race, socioeconomic status, Mm -hmm. uh, religions, uh, all those different things. What as a clinical researcher, what question are you trying to
1: answer? That's a great one. So there are several different questions, but I think most of them boiled down to what makes living worthwhile for people uh so i think the field has made a lot of progress and done a lot of great work on helping people navigate suicidal crises and, and you know kind of cope um you know a lot of work around around safety planning and 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 mean safety you know making sure that people don't don't have like immediate access to things they could kill themselves with if you know if if um uh, if they are feeling, you know, suicidal, uh, I think that those are are really important. Um, but over the years, I've done a fair amount of work on the the inpatient um, unit. And and often people would come through who would have like a really good safety plan. Um, you know, they were insightful people. Uh, they, you know, were, were checking the boxes they were supposed to check. Um, but they would say, well, I've never like it's, you know, I've got a good plan, but I never use it. And, and usually that was because when they're at their deepest, darkest hour, um, you know, they just didn't have the, the motivation to. Uh, it was hard for them to see why it was worthwhile. Uh, so a lot of the work that I've been, been trying to do is applying acceptance and commitment therapy to suicide prevention and, and, and really focusing on, like, how do we help people get back in touch with their values and the things that they care about and doing things you know even with their their depression or whatever other issues they might be facing, um, even with that stuff on board how do how do we get them to start making their days meaningful so that uh, it's it's worth the you know pain that they might have to experience to move forward from where they're at
0: that makes a lot of sense, uh Sean, because it's one thing to ask someone to not end their lives or, or complete suicide it's mm-hmm. another. Thing to give them a reason to stay and hang around, yeah. right? It's like if you're going to invite mm-hmm. them in, uh, you know, make sure it's, it's 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 got some a few amenities, you know,
1: right? Um, exactly, exactly. But,
0: but you're, but you know, and and for you know, and so you're talking about values of realigning with your values. Do you find that it's people having um, kind of been disconnected from their values as one of the contributing factors to suicidality?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, just as, as humans, we're really good at, at problem solving and trying to figure out how to, you know, solve our emotions and make ourselves feel better in the moment. Uh, and usually, you know, that ends up looking like lots of different ways of avoiding distress, right? So maybe I start drinking or doing drugs or just isolating. Um, so I don't need to come up against those, those tough emotions or I get some some reprieve from them. Um, but over time, that just totally erodes the, the meaning that people find in their lives. You know, as they, they lose those interpersonal connections, they you know, might, might lose touch with the ways they've been contributing um, and, and their lives become about avoiding pain.
0: Right, that it's kind of like they're spending their whole life running away from a thing so they're never really engaging with anything and yeah. over time it's uh you, you, st- you can only run so far right before you have to sit yeah after, and then there's nowhere for you to sit or no one to sit with you right
1: yeah and it's this total uh you know double edged sword like the human mind is uh we just like as a species it's amazing how successful we've been you know in shaping our environments extending our lifespan um, but the the same thing that helps us, you know, do complex problem solving and um, you know being able to to have the rich lives we we can have, uh, also can make us prisoners of our own minds. You know, like when you are stuck, you know, ruminating about the past or you know re-experiencing traumas or just worried about the future, um, you're you know oftentimes missing out on whatever it might be in the present moment that that would be. You know, reinforcing and and valuable.
0: You talked about uh, reminiscing on the past, or or ruminating on the past, or you know, worried about the future, and you kind of lose touch with the present moment. Um, Is there value in looking at the past and looking towards the future? Uh, And and how does and what would that look like? What what would be a healthy way of looking backward and looking forward?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, like I said, you know, what, what is beta so successful as a species is that we can do that um, in, a, in a meaningful way and understanding where we felt most vital and connected in the past, you know, is a good way to, to you know, guide us towards what might be uh, a rich future for us and also, you know, helps us uh, hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that we've made. Uh, so the extent, so to the extent that that um, thinking about mistakes in the past inform the future, make you more able to to know how you want to respond to a similar situation next time, um, then that's all, that's all very beneficial. It's just when we get stuck in it, and um, you know, it's you're not going anywhere. You're just 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 beating yourself up or uh, beating the world up or whatever else it might look like, uh, that that it becomes problematic.
0: You know, you brought up a great point. Uh, it's about looking at mistakes from the past so that we can avoid those. Uh, you know, going into the future, and a lot of times, you know, it's that idea of when we're in it, it's hard for us to see where we made the mistakes. I think a lot of mm-hmm. us think that we figured out where the mistake was made, and it. It may be a mistake, but not the core mistake. And so then we Mm -hmm. still end up repeating it. You know, when we look at cognitive behavioral therapy, and I know you you Mm -hmm. subscribe to ACT, um, you know, they look at the thoughts as being like, let's look at what you were thinking at the time and start there. Mm -hmm. Where does ACT start? Where does does acceptance and commitment therapy start in terms of uh, dissecting mistakes and how to
1: move forward? (laughs) Um, Well, I think, so that's a really good question. Uh, One nice thing about acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT is just that it um, is more kind of process based. So you can come in at different angles depending on where someone's at. Uh, Often, you know, it'll be related to kind of just what has been keeping somebody stuck um, and what they want their behavior to look like in the future and in terms of like connecting with what's important to them in their life, what their values are and thinking about um, how we can move them in a direction of living more consistently with that. So really like everything boils down to, um, so we kind of evaluate things based on whether it's helping someone move in a direction that's important. But that can start from looking at someone's pain, you know, because we don't we don't care about Uh, or things that we don't care about can't or tend not to really hurt us. You know, we, we get uh, upset or uh, stuck on, on things that are important to us. So sometimes it could start, you know, looking at pain or it could look at more of like the sweet spots, you know, places where um, we've, we've felt more connected and, and vital.
0: So you're, we're looking at pain. We're looking at connection as, a guidepost for what we value. And Mm -hmm. um, when you say pain, can you talk to us about more of what that is? And I'm asking because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are in pain and we're not aware of it because we're comparing our situation, our state to someone else's. And we think, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not in that kind of pain. So I must not be in pain. Can you talk to us? Is there a hierarchy of pain?
1: Um, I don't know if there's a, a hierarchy. I mean, I think pain comes in many different forms, right? So it could be physical pain, you know, it could be um, emotional pain. Uh, and, you know, often we'll, I think it's important to, to recognize that pain is part of life. You know, I think our society sometimes can sell a version that we, we should be able to reach this state of, you know, we problem solve until we reach a state of happiness, you know, where we've got the right stuff, we've got the right relationships and in life is just good and happy. Um, You know, when in reality, pain's a necessity, uh, whether that's emotional pain, that's telling you kind of where you might be going off course um, or physical pain. Yeah. I think like a a nice analogy is just, you know, when you put your hand on a stove, you want to be able to feel it. Uh, You know, you need to know to, to pull away. And then things get messy when we get like, you know, kind of false signals from our body around, uh, uh, you know, pain, pain that isn't um, uh, from a source. That's sort of a true signal, I guess.
0: Yeah. Is there, I, I, for, you know, I'm speaking for me and, and just from other people I've talked to. Uh, I, I, I feel like a lot of us are um, confusing pain for discomfort. Mm hmm. Does that make sense, and so it's something we are uncomfortable. we're calling it pain um but but they're both signals as to which direction to move in. I see you nodding your head. Mm-hmm. can you say yeah,
1: huh? Yeah, I think um you know there uh i mean pain's a word, so you know there are a lot of different ways we can interpret it, things we can put on it, but um typically you know it's like some sort of unwanted physical or you know uh cognitive emotional uh sensation and um you know there's people talk about there being kind of you know like primary or like pure pain you know like that hand on the stove uh situation um and then there being more like secondary pain or suffering where um, in addition to the hand on the stove, we spend time, um, beating ourselves up about what an idiot are we, we are that we burnt our, you know, we burnt our hand and, uh, wishing that we hadn't burnt our hand. And, you know, there's that extra layer of, um, uh, kind of mental anguish, uh, that can come above and beyond the the initial hurt.
0: So it's more of like, uh, the, the perception of the pain or, or, you know, the, what, what how we're labeling why we feel a certain way or it's like yeah. oh of course i feel like this you know because i you know i'm uh you know i'm no good i'm inadequate i'm you know all mm-hmm. these different things versus of course i feel like this cuz i put my hand on a stove and right um, or someone hit me you know of course i feel pain yeah. in my arm it's it's about like what you're attributing the pain to yeah exactly when When we look at uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, you said it's more process oriented um, yeah. so when someone comes in and they say that they are wanting to end their life, where are we starting are we, are we looking at their pain points we're we looking at their loss of connection where, where are we guiding them from there
1: You know I think it it really depends on the, the person and kind of what they're most open to but I think starting with with where they're at, you know, a lot of times that is the pain, you know, kind of understanding their experience and and sort of their perception of how they've come to the place they're at. Um, Yeah, we do. um, So there's a lot of um, work that can be done kind of looking at um, the different ways they've tried to get rid of their unwanted thoughts and emotions, uh, physical sensations and you know kind of how they've been trying to problem solve things um how things have worked for them and and uh really getting to a place where um we can help them see this like control agenda that uh we we kind of get taught like this idea that we should be able to get rid of unwanted you know thoughts emotions physical sensations and um you know, like being able to regulate your emotions, being able to not, you know, fly off the handle. As a father of uh, young kids, I, you know, I totally don't don't want my kids to like not learn any emotional control. Um, but when we're like over-controlled and spending all of our time trying not to feel things, um, that keeps us stuck. And a, a place that uh, kind of starts where where a lot of good work can start, I think, is by Helping people shift their focus from not not feeling their experience, you know, from from avoiding pain, from avoiding symptoms of different disorders to what they want their life to be about. Um, you know, so can they be willing to have their pain and move in a direction that's important to them? Um, and act does a lot of I mean, I think act clinicians do a lot of cool work to to help people change their relationship with their thoughts and emotions in a way that allows them to you kind of build the skills to, to do that, um, and get more freedom over their, their behavior.
0: Yeah. You know, cause there's so much, like when you look at YouTube and and all these new books that are being released, it's like, uh, be fearless, get, get rid of, uh, anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, the cure for depression, you know, like Mm -hmm. everything's it's like, we're trying to detox our bodies, detox food, detox, like, like we want like a hundred percent antibacterial, like we're just are trying to wipe yes. out everything, all the germs, right. all the bullies. There's a zero tolerance policy uh, for anything. And then when it shows up, uh, we beat ourselves up because we felt like we've done the work. And I, I can't mm. believe it's here again. And I think yeah. you know, I, I recognize that in myself of like, oh, my God, I can't believe that depression has visited me again or hopelessness. Right. I, right. I, 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 you know, I, I did that. I meditated this morning mm-hmm. and I juiced yeah. and. <laughs> and so can you talk to us about that? Because I'm sure that that has to be a frustrating process for people that you've worked with or, or that you found of where you feel like, shouldn't I be done with this? Shouldn't I uh, be living this uh, Buddha life?
1: Well, I think, that, yeah, I think that's part of the root issue, right? Is that we have this idea, you know, the Buddha, like, yeah, you know, life is suffering, like there's pain in life. Um and, and, I think even our our idea of success sometimes keeps us stuck. Um because, you know, I I mean I can relate to you. having that experience of like, you know, feeling depressed or having having thoughts that like, yeah, you know, here here it comes again. Um, and then before you know it, you're you know, not not uh, living your life, you're stuck in your head worrying about what it might mean that you just had that thought or what it might mean that Um, You know, you feel this way or that you, you know, you meditated, but then you're still, uh, you know, uh, not not you're not the way you're supposed to be. Right.
0: Right. right, Because we have this idea of how I'm supposed to be, which is is messages that come from family, friends, media Mm -hmm. of what a man is supposed to be, what a father is supposed to be, what a wife is supposed Mm -hmm. to be, what an American is supposed to be or you know, we have all these different boxes that we think uh, we're supposed to check off and fit into. And when we don't measure up to that, uh, then ultimately we feel disappointment. And, mm-hmm. and then we start beating ourselves up and uh, it becomes this rat race of yeah. trying to maintain an image that no one asked us what we value and what we care right. about, right? When, yeah. when people talk about what they value, uh, it sounds like you were saying co- connection and, um, uh, you said connection and like, you know, trying to avoid pain, but what have you found that people really value? Is it a Lexus? Mm-hmm. Is it a, is it, is it the new
1: iPhone? What are people really valuing? <laughs> yeah, typically, typically not. Uh, you know, I think when, when we get down to it, um, you know, I think there's some basic, like, you know, material needs, uh, that, that uh, you know, without that, it's, it's hard to focus on other, um, other things. But the nice thing I think is that we don't all have to value the same thing. Um, it's easy, I think for people to, there's this idea. Um, so like the, the creators of, of acceptance commitment therapy, and I'll just say to you, I, this is not anything that I've, it's not like a brainchild of mine in any way. I'm very much just, um, you know, working with, uh, you uh, know, therapeutic approach and, and, kind of lifestyle developed by, you know, Steve Hayes, Kirk Strossel, Kelly Wilson, and, and a bunch of, um, you know, the other collaborators I, I work with. So just to be clear, these aren't, you know, my ideas, uh, uniquely. Um, but I, I think the idea about values is they're freely chosen and that can be tricky, you know, because we grow up, you know, I work with veterans a lot of the times and, um, the, the military very effectively works to get people to accept certain values that that hold people together and, you know, um, lead to efficiency. Um, And, you know, similarly, you know, I think we we maybe grow up in different religious communities. We have different expectations from parents or peers. And there are some people, you know— think myself included you know at certain points it's like wait is that my value or is that something that i've been told is my value uh so there's some great work that that can be done with acceptance and commitment therapy kind of more experientially to to try and get a sense of of what really is important to you and we're not you know they're not things that we need to consistently value forever like people have different values in different domains of their life you know so what you value as a father might be different than what you value as a friend. Um, and, and, uh, you know, there's, there's work that can be done to continue exploring values and seeing, um, and, you know, always kind of reevaluating, like, am I on, am I on track? Am I living today the way that I would, I am intending to live today, knowing that today is going to be a, you know, the uh, folk catastrophe, you know, the mess of life, but I, you know i love
0: that that you brought up that you know sometimes our values in one domain can differ from our values in another right my value mm-hmm. as a father can be different than my value as a, a professor or an mm-hmm. employee can be different my different than my values as a serviceman uh in yeah. these different and i would also imagine that our values can change over age and and i think that uh you know sometimes we don't recognize that You know, what we valued when we were in our 20s can change when we get in our 30s, can change when we get in Mm -hmm. our 40s or with an injury or, you know, different transitions in life. Your values, like, you know, when you're single, you you run in the streets, uh, so you value your friends. And now it becomes more about family and consistency and sleep. Mm -hmm. Can you you speak more to that, like how values tend to change over time and helping people recognize when, uh, you know, that happens for them?
1: Yeah, I think, um, what, one thing that's challenging that I haven't figured out a way around yet is that like there are 24 hours in a day and, uh, even, you know, I can think about the things that are important to me, the things that I value and, you know, things that I'd like to do every day that are connected to those. And at the end of the day, you know, I can only choose to do so many things, um, So, you know, I can think about the. I just turned 40. Uh, So, you know, kind of the stage in life for me is I'm I'm a, a, you know, partner. I'm a a father. um, I'm working. And that's really, like, where I value spending a lot of my time. That's really where I, like, focus on doing things that are important to me within those domains. Um, And that would have been totally different you know, when I was in my twenties and we'll probably be totally different again when I'm in my, you know, sixties or seventies and my kids are, you know, out of the house. And so I think life brings us different opportunities depending on our demands, but we always get the choice to, of what we want to do with what life gives us.
0: Yeah. You know, I've talked to so many people who have Uh, They value family or they value relationships. And for a lot of people, they struggle with losing themselves in the relationship where they they tend to maybe overvalue uh, a friendship or overvalue a relationship Mm -hmm. at the uh, behest of themselves. That's not the word. At the sacrifice Mm -hmm. of themselves. And they they lose themselves. Can you talk to us about... um, like setting boundaries around what we value? Because if you are a father, if you are, if you do have a job, you know, if you, if you have like three different roles that you're playing, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you set boundaries around making sure you're not, um, uh, you know, giving yourself over too much to any particular thing?
1: Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. And one that I think is challenging when, um, you know, when you think about values or when I think about values, I try to think about how I want to be as a person. Right. So there are those different really, like I value being a friend, but I also value being like a reliable friend. Um, you know, I, I value being, um, a a father, but I also value being a, you know, a, a loving father. So, you know, there's, there's that, um, you know, adverb that you, that you put onto it, um, that really is more about who, who you are, like how you want to show up as a person within those relationships. Um, and that I think creates opportunity for you to stay in touch with yourself, um, while you're doing those things, but that doesn't change the fact that you, you know, probably have less time to be the way you want to be as a friend, maybe, you know, relative to earlier on in your life. Um, and I think we, we get into trouble, um, where I even say I get into trouble, you know, when those, those values become rules, um, values can kind of, they can be the, the, um, you know, carrot or the stick, uh, so to speak. So it can be something that I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to be a reliable father. I'm going to you know drop my kids off at school. I'm going to do these things around the house or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that's great when it's something I'm, I'm doing because I want to, but I can also be the, the flip side of that is where it's like, this is the way I, I have to be. And when I fall short, I punish myself for it. Right. So there's, it's the stick at that point. And instead of leading to like flexible behavior where I can, can try to respond in a way that's thoughtful, um, and like of my volition, it becomes, uh, makes more for more rigidity, you know, like where we're like forced into that role and things need to be a certain way or else that's not, you know, not acceptable.
0: Uh, Yeah. You use that word messy. And, you know, a lot of research I've read is people, um, you know, who struggle with suicidal thoughts, um, tend to be more perfectionistic and don't like things to be messy at all. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, expect things a certain way, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, it's one thing to say, be flexible and have flexible thinking. Um, sure. uh, how do you, how do you practice that? And, and or, or how do you, you know, you got the week coming up ahead of you. Are you one of those, like you take Sunday to look at your week? Like, how do you prepare for, um, for mess? Or
1: Yeah, I, so yeah, I very much, Feel like I use acceptance and commitment therapy on myself to try and figure things out as I'm going through life. So it's not at all like I'm, you know, I've got stuff stuff dialed in and I know know just what to do and just what everybody else should do. Um, There's a really nice nice metaphor that uh, gets used in accent times where it's like you talk about. Um, you know, as a therapist, you could, you could talk to your client about how it's like they're you know hiking up a mountain, um, and you know when you hike up a mountain, you're, you're trying to get to the the top. There are different forks in the road, and sometimes you know it's a switchback. You need to be headed back down in a different direction that you you might not have anticipated, and um, you know that as as a therapist, our our hope is to be able to you know kind of shout 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 to you and give you some directions about, you know, which way you might want to go or, you know, what to take into consideration as you're like navigating things, but it's not because we're like these realized beings standing at the top of the mountain because we've conquered life. Right. Instead we're, we're climbing our own mountain on the other side of the valley, um, you know, trying to figure things out for ourselves, but we've got a little, a little perspective, a little more space um, to hopefully be helpful with. And um, I think that's it also kind of applies to um, your your personal experience, I think the uh, working with the, the mess of life um, becomes more manageable when there's a space, you know, between the stimulus and the response. That's kind of uh, related to like a Frankel quote, you know, like where um, we, we have a moment, like a, a split second often, where we get to live, you know, where we get to decide how we want to respond to something that's happened. And when we can't see our thoughts and emotions, you know when we're acting from them instead of like viewing them and then uh, acting like with um, with the knowledge of them uh, it's really difficult not to just be on autopilot and kind of be you know knocked around by our our um, our thoughts and emotions um, but if we can you know practice mindfulness uh, and, and kind of build build that muscle of being able to observe our experience and, and get some distance uh, from it. Then it puts us a little bit more in the driver's seat. Um, and, and we can act in a way that that is hopefully going to make the best of whatever the situation is that's that we're up against.
0: Yeah. It's such a great book. Victor Frankl's man yeah. search for meaning. Uh, a yeah. thin book, powerful book. Uh, yeah, I, I think an agreed. international bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you talked about how there's a space between stimulus and response, uh, and it's a split mm-hmm. second it's so fast uh, where we get to live in that space and observe and mm-hmm. and and maybe get some distance on uh, what what we're experiencing in that moment. Are there some practical ways that we can do that because? It sounds challenging. There's been so many times where I'm like, I, I know what I'm doing, and I know I should not be doing this, or this is not effective or healthy for me, and then I do it anyway. How do we zoom out? How do we, what, how do we observe and get some distance on the emotions, of the, on the pain?
1: Yeah, it's, it's challenging for sure. You know, I think I've heard meditation described as something that's like simple but difficult. Uh, which I think is really accurate, you know. Um, And a lot of times, you know, mindfulness practice is is more about uh, not being on autopilot. You know, some more of the informal practices are about, you know, paying attention when you, um, you know, brush your teeth, when you eat your food, when you hold your child, when you exercise. Um, So for just moments of life, really showing up and noticing the physical sensations. You know, even simple things like walking are so complex uh, when you you take time to to notice them.
0: You know, I love that because it sounds like what you're saying is that um, instead of waiting until you are in a moment of despair or hopelessness Mm -hmm. or spiraling out, it sounds like what you're saying is this this idea of mindfulness is a practice and something we should be practicing uh, in moments where we are calm, when things are neutral and not waiting in, until the building is on fire to figure out yeah. how to use the fire extinguisher and where the exits are.
1: Yeah, that's spot on. Uh, really well put. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's tough to, you know... D- d- human minds tend to you know we tend to react more on instinct when we're in places of like extreme distress uh and you know fire safety gets used as an example a lot you know i can remember growing up how many times i was told to stop drop and roll you know i think a lot of us were and you still see i mean unfortunately um you know people catch on fire and and run because it's just the urge to get away from that pain is so strong so you know the whole purpose of stop drop and roll is to you know, uh, practice something so it becomes more automatic uh, to have a plan in place before you get in the crisis. And that's the same thing, um, you know, that that safety planning is about, you know, kind of making a plan for how you might deal with a suicidal crisis when you get there, knowing that when we're at our, you know, kind of uh, deepest, darkest moments or, you know, however that might show up for somebody. Um it, our ability to solve problems, our perspective on the world, um our, you know, drive to to live life, um isn't gonna be representative or, or, you know, kind of at our full ability uh compared to how we might be when we're doing relatively okay. Um so a lot of the you know a lot of the suicide prevention work really is preparing for that, you know, the those dark moments, that those worst times. um, Yeah. So same thing with with mindfulness, right? I think um, ideally you want to, especially when you're starting out, do things that, um, you know, are like basic, you know, kind of just showing up to experiences. And then there are more formal practices, you know, that people can do. Uh, I think, uh, you know, mindfulness has definitely gotten um, uh, just in the last, you know, 20 years um, really become part of our culture in a way that it wasn't before. And, um, a lot of times overlaid with, you know, relaxation or kind of the striving to like reach a certain state or or escape an emotion. Um, and that's not the way we use it in acceptance and commitment therapy, you know, instead it's just about showing up to what's present. Um, and there, there are a lot of ways, you know, that, that people can, um, you know, have like, do more like breath meditations, body scans, um, Yeah, there there are some great uh, great opportunities to to build that muscle, but it takes yeah, it takes time, takes practice.
0: Yeah, Winston Churchill called his depression the black dog. Yeah, and you know when he realized that you know this was uh uh you know just going to keep showing up, there was Mm -hmm. no there was no cure any fix for it. He couldn't run from his depression. He was like, Oh, yeah, that's my black dog over there, and uh, befriended it. Do, are there techniques like that in, in act therapy? Like, it could be because I, what I hear you saying is let's not run from it. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. let's be present uh, with the pain. How mm-hmm. are, are there s- tools or skills or techniques? And, and I know that I've had Stephen C. Hayes on here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about it. It was a good Uh one. And and d- so, don't worry about uh, repeating what he said because yeah. the listeners need to hear it again. If, if mm. you feel like it's redundant, and, and I mean, we all need to hear it over and over again. So, are are there things? Are there ways in which we can sit with the pain versus running away from it?
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think that that Churchill example is um, exactly like one of the things that you might do with someone. You know, where. Um, to, you know, you can look at an emotion like depression and uh, physicalize it. You know, you can think about, you know, what would it, what would it look like if it, if it was, you know, something I could hold outside of me, you know, and it was his, his black dog. Um, and then when it shows up, it's not as, um, you're a little less likely to, to just get stuck in it. You know, you can notice it as something that's, uh, that you can observe um, and be like, oh, you know, there, there it is again. Um, and based on that, decide, you know, what, what you want to do about it. But over time, hopefully you learn to, um, you know, uh, learn how to walk the dog, learn how to be with the dog, uh, as opposed from spending all your time running front of it, from it, or like spinning out when it shows up. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's a, a lot of experiential work in acceptance and commitment therapy that's in service of giving people that that space, um, kind of changing their relationship with their thoughts and emotions so they can see them as thoughts and emotions so they can see them as something that they can watch and observe, um, and not just be, be driven by.
0: When you you said you have, how many kids do you have? I
1: have two kids. All
0: right. Two uh, boy and a girl.
1: Two boys. I've got a, um, so currently, uh, seven, almost eight and five you know
0: it's interesting because uh as i'm getting older i'm noticing that how just how emotional boys are like young mm-hmm. boys are you know i've always thought girls were emotional but then when i watch young boys i'm like they're super they're, they're almost like 10x <laughs> more emotional than girls and then somehow uh the tables turn where <laughs> women become more and then the tables turn again where like i'm in my 40s and i find myself crying over every little thing um yeah yeah the when your kids and I would imagine that they've had moments where they've been upset or angry about a thing. Sure. Um, yeah. How are you uh walking them through their
1: emotions? Oh, man, that's such a good, good question. Um, some days better than others, for sure. Right. I think it's easy. I mean, I think that's really one place where I find myself. Um, uh, applying act a lot is thinking about how I want to be as a parent and feels like you know repeatedly seeing where i where i fall short of that uh some days and um thinking about how i want to be different different next time and i think um you know my my wife is my wife is a psychologist um and and i think we we both try to um operate we're being try to uh help them observe their emotions help them recognize when they're upset and 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 kind of sit with that um you know, hopefully without, without reacting, um, doing the best we can to, um, also not make them like ashamed of their emotions or make them squash their emotions. Uh, and also I think, you know, we try hard to, um, talk about what we value, you know, as, as people, um, the way we want to be, uh, and, and the way their behavior, you know, may or may not line up with that depending on, uh, you know i think they certainly go at it a lot uh especially this year with everybody being home because of covid and homeschool and oh man they've spent a lot of time together uh so you know there are times when they're just at each other uh so we'll we'll try to help them reflect on you know how would you feel if your brother did that to you um you know is there another way we could say that that's you know a little kinder uh that that type of a thing um that said i definitely work with adults as a therapist and i feel like you know i've got um the the joy of parenting is is uh you know one book i've got a, a bunch of books on uh trying to you know how how to parent correctly uh and it's still a challenge you know evolving challenge for sure and and um being the person i want to be in the way i want to be Uh, with my kids and helping to guide them, you know, in that direction. Um, I think it's carry. I mean, interesting too. I think I, you know, I grew up, um, Catholic, you know, in like a a religious family and, um, you know, we, this is a little of self-disclosure, but we don't, we're not, um, you know, we don't attend church. We, um, aren't really part of a, a religious community in the same way that I think I was when I was a kid. Um, and, I think that's become more common, you know, in in the United States for for sure. So there's this interesting, you know, sort of shift from like if you know if religion isn't teaching the values, then then how are we as as people, um, you know, making sure that we're uh, uh, how how are we deciding how we want to be, you know, or how are we deciding what's important to us?
0: are you using you know having two boys and deciding how you want to be and and um and also modeling for your two boys um are you using literature books in any way to kind of discuss values uh or any type of um you know any type of arts or you know mm-hmm. cuz you know they're young boys and language at that age is that, uh you, ha- you have to I would, yeah. I would imagine, have to be a bit more f- physical or tactile in mm-hmm. terms of of uh, trying to teach them how to handle their emotions.
1: Yeah, um, I you know I think that's a, a challenge for sure. I've looked a little bit, and you know, I'd be curious too. I mean, I think like if people listen to this and have uh, great resources, I would would love to hear about them. Um, you know, I've seen some uh, you know different cards uh, that have like values on them that you, and then like different sort of like challenges, you know, for the days, like, how can we do something kind today? Um, and I've thought about doing more of that with the kids, but I haven't found anything that felt like a great, uh, you know, great fit necessarily. But I think that would be something that'd be really cool to do just to be more intentional with them too, about, um, thinking about how they want to be, um, as people without, you know, getting, getting too heady uh, around things. And I think also just creating opportunities for them to, um, you know, help others opportunities for them to, uh, uh, be able to, you know, hopefully get a taste of some of the, you know, kind of committed action, some of the things that, that we, um, hope that they would, would value. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, be in cause values is such a huge part of, like you said, the thing you're trying to answer is like, why do people, what keeps people here? What do they value? Um, And, and uh, to keep going because there have been so many tragedies that have taken place. We're talking about the Holocaust or, or slavery and some people Mm -hmm. become undone um, at the end of it or during it um, uh, or, you know, in their lives and other people uh, somehow build upon it and move forward and, Mm -hmm. and thrive. And, uh, so we know that is not what happens to you. It's there's something else that's tethering you to life. Because if two people are going through the same experience and one moves forward, then mm-hmm. there's there's something else there uh, that is beyond the experience itself.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're you know all uh, creatures of our our history. You know, we get we get shaped by what our life experiences have been and what the, what the context is uh, in the moment, um, you know, sort of shapes that we respond. There's, I mean, I think a lot of interesting research, you know, on kind of that, that post-traumatic growth or like grit. Um, and uh, it's a, a complicated, a complicated question. Um, I think the thing I always want to be like, you know, make sure people um, uh, that, that knowing that some people respond to trauma with growth doesn't become the stick, right. doesn't become the way that they're like, I shouldn't be having this experience. You know, I think that that shows up a lot um, for some of the military veterans I work with, you know, where um, the with mental health, mental health issues can be viewed as weakness, you know, or a liability. Um, and they can think about people who didn't respond the way they did um, and then get stuck in that, you know, then that becomes another layer of, of suffering for them. Um, so I think, you know, we, we all have the opportunity to work with what life gives us. And, you know, I, I believe and hope that, um, regardless of what it is, I'll, you know, be fighting to hold on and see what the next day brings. Um, that's also easy for me to say, you know, having lived a fairly privileged life and, and, um, uh, not knowing, you know, everybody else's, uh, suffering. I, uh, I'm all for, you know, there's like you know, zero suicide movements. And, um, as a, I got into mental health, not because I, you know, because I want to, I want to help people choose life. Uh, I want to make it something that they can, can choose. Um, and at the same time, you know we can't take suicide off the table. Um, it's not something we can can take away that option away from people permanently. Um, but you know I think what I would would hope and, and i am really motivated to do is uh, to to help people continue to hold on to continue to find find meaning and and kind of push through to see uh, what the next day next day brings.
0: I love that. And, you know, you're to wrap it up. You, you know, I know that you're working with uh, at the VA, uh, with veterans. And is there a a, because you talked about how veterans, they um, kind of are um, indoctrinated. I don't that's a strong word. Mm -hmm. But what is what a certain set of beliefs and values, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. And then when they retire, because we know that there's, uh, there's a, a suicide rate increase for people when they mm-hmm. retire, transition, whether we're talking about uh, servicemen or, uh, uh, you know, army vets or military mm-hmm. vets, et cetera, et cetera. What's the process? Is there a cycle there of, okay, I was, this was my life for five, 10, 20, 30 mm-hmm. years and so these were what my or what my values were because that served a purpose uh, yeah. in this environment. And now I'm, you know, going to retire or I'm going to move on to a next phase. Is there something? Mm-hmm. Is there something in between what their values were and how that served them, and what their values are going to become, and what does that look like? Because I think that it's that space that becomes scary for people of what's next and i'm feeling like they have to know the next thing
1: yeah yeah there's you know certainly less training coming out of the military than there is going in you know there's more training for how to be in the military than there is how to be in in civilian life um and i think you know people are doing good work in that area and and trying to be more intentional about it but it's tough because you know there are some people um you know who might be like uh like lower level, like infantry uh, people, and they are doing um, their decisions are, are you know they can be in situations where their decisions are life or death, right? There are people around them who need them to survive. They're contributing to you know hopefully contributing to um, a mission or cause uh, you know that's that's pure or, or you know that they can stand behind, and then you know if they come out of the military and um, haven't had uh, the opportunity to you know have an education or maybe as many financial resources or uh, social support um, they can find themselves in in positions or jobs uh, that feel very meaningless you know where that they lose that sense of, of purpose uh, and that that can be tough for people so I think you know, reconnecting with and, and kind of uh, figuring out how to, what's meaningful for them in that new context uh, is really important.
0: I love that. I appreciate Is there anything that we haven't talked about Sean for uh, about acceptance and commitment therapy that might be a benefit to someone who may be thinking about ending their life or maybe a military veteran who uh, is, Having a hard time, you know, transitioning uh, to the civilian life. Is there anything that we haven't discussed?
1: Um. So I think there's a lot depending on on who it is, right? I, I don't have the um, you know magic wand or, or kind of exercise that it's you know this is what what you should do. Um, but I think the the biggest thing that I would want to like, you know, hopefully make people aware of is that there are, you know, resources that exist. There are, uh, you know, these evidence-based therapies that, that can be used to help them uh, move forward from where they're at, you know, and if things feel empty and painful and, um, you know, just, just a struggle or unbearable uh, that is not the time to make a major decision about life or death, you know, Um, so I think the biggest thing I would want to say is like, wait, and, and the, you know, suicide, is, death is certainly coming, right, for all of us. Um, suicide isn't going to be off the table tomorrow, um, but unless they, you know, you've really tried everything, um, there's, there's a lot out there to um, help you reconnect with the sense of meaning and value, um, you know, help you get back to a place where you're kind of better tolerating distress um, and, and life feels less, less painful.
0: I love that. Yeah. It, it, just, it brought to mind the idea of, you know, they say don't go to bed angry. Right. And it's like, yeah. don't do anything angry, like wait yeah. till the anger <laughs> subsides and then yeah. see uh, what's left. Um, and then last question, and you kind of answered this, but I asked this of mm-hmm. all my guests, because I always imagine, there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting yeah. to end their life. Before mm-hmm. you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Sean? Um, Off the clock.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wait till tomorrow. Uh, you know, like give, I, you know, and that's a, I don't mean that in a, a flippant way or like glib way. Cause I think um, that's easy for me to say, right? I don't know um, what their history is or how long they've been suffering for. And it might feel like every day has been waiting until tomorrow. Um, but I really believe that if people can, you know, push through and wait a lot of the time that creates opportunities. Um, you know, I think just, uh, so many of the people I've worked with, um, I think even from my own experience, like I I could never have predicted that my life would be the way it is right now. Um, and I also probably felt like you know fairly certain that that uh I knew you know knew what was coming for me that type of a thing um and being in a place where um you know where where things are really dark and and uh, people have felt really stuck uh there can be lifetimes of stuckness before opportunities emerge um and the you know I think one of the major first steps in that is is getting help um, you know being willing to to talk to uh, a therapist, being willing to um, you know, reach out to others and um, start to find a way to think about not escaping the pain, but doing something tomorrow that's important to you. Wow.
0: Not escaping the pain, but doing something tomorrow that's important to you. And I love that you, you put that in place of tomorrow. Oh, that, that's great. I love that. It, like, it's kind of like give yourself something. To look forward to uh, yeah. tomorrow because you can't do it right now. You're upset, so let's just yeah just Netflix and <laughs> chill in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and maybe you know maybe it becomes today. Hopefully, right? Is the, the day that you're doing something that's important. And and I think people get stuck. I get stuck sometimes. Um, you know, thinking that that things that are meaningful need to be huge. Uh, you know, or that they need to have these like lofty goals for themselves, and so that anything less is unacceptable. But like you know, it can be. Like I'm going to pick up trash. I'm going to, um, you know, really pay attention while I walk through nature. Uh, yeah. There's so, so many different things where people can find meaning that are, are within their power, no matter what their life situation is. Uh, but finding those things can be hard when you're in that dark place So talk to somebody else.
0: Thank you so much, Sean.
1: Thank you so much okay. listeners. listeners. For- can I, yeah, oh, please go too. ahead. Sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No, I, you no. know, didn't get a chance to do a quick shout out just to, um, you know, I think I have a lot of collaborators in the work that I've been doing. Um, you know, a couple of the, a few of the people that I've, um, you know, really uh, have, have learned from and, and continue to do this work with are, uh, Lauren Borges, Nazi Buraini, uh Robin Walser, uh, Jeff Smith, Debbie Sorensen. Um, and, you know, I really, I, I love the ACT community uh, and, and the, the, you know, the people, um, who are, you know, moving this, this mission forward. So just a a quick, quick thank you to all of those folks.
0: Yeah. I think you're the first one to do a shout out on the podcast. So, uh, (laughs) I love following you on Twitter because you're always retweeting other, uh, colleagues, you know, their successes and accomplishments and, and thoughts. So, you know, you, you definitely are, uh, I, I can see the person that you that you are and that you want to be. And, and uh, you know, you definitely applaud those, uh, the, as you say, your collaborators and uh, in, in where you are. So I appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate you listeners for tuning in. Uh, remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or one eight hundred two seven three 273 talk Or the million of other numbers I have listed in all of the show notes. There's LG, there's the Trevor Project. Um, There are international phone numbers that are listed. And if you're in Sri Lanka, Budapest, uh, if you're in Antarctica, there is someone who is ready and willing to listen to you and help guide you through the darkness. There are chats, there are groups. All that is in each and every one of the show notes. Uh, and if you want one-on-one, uh, coaching, go to thrive Leo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Sean. I love it. Thank you, Leo. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.